This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. Do you remember a number of years ago, a show on television called Mission Impossible? And the characters on that show would try to do things that it seemed almost impossible to accomplish. And I, later, I think there were some movies by that title. Sometimes we feel like in life that we're on a mission impossible. You know, there are some things in life that, that we expect, and sometimes when we expect those things, it's, Im, it's an impossible expectation. Today, we want to talk about that. We want to talk about expecting the impossible. I want to thank you for tuning in to watch Getting to Know Your Bible today, and especially if it's your first time to view the telecast. Now today, we want to continue to offer the free Bible correspondence course. And I emphasize it is free, and in order that you might know more about the course and how to receive it, let's pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free. I'm going to be reading now from Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And by their fruits you shall know them. Sometimes we expect things to happen that are impossible. In this reading, Jesus is talking about fruit and trees. And notice that Jesus said it is impossible to expect good fruit off of a bad tree. And it's impossible to expect bad fruit off of a good tree. And a good tree only bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. Now that's just common sense, isn't it? And it would be impossible to expect a good tree to bear bad fruit. And it would be impossible to expect 
a bad tree to bear good fruit. You say, well, how will you know the difference? Well, it's by the fruit they bear that you know whether or not they are a good tree or a bad tree. Sometimes we expect things to happen that it's impossible for those things to happen. And we want to think about some two or three things on our telecast today that are impossible under certain circumstances. For example, it is impossible to expect knowledge without study. It is impossible to expect to have knowledge without study. Now, we need knowledge, and when I speak of knowledge, I'm speaking of the Word of God. A lack of it can be disastrous. For example, it is said in the book of Hosea, chapter 4 and verse 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So a lack of knowledge is disastrous. A lack of knowledge can destroy. In Romans chapter 10, Paul was speaking of those who uh, had uh, zeal, but they had no knowledge. And so it is, it is important that we be zealous for God, but we need a working knowledge of His Word. The fact is, it takes knowledge to save people. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible says that God would have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We need to have a knowledge of it. Now, to expect to have that knowledge of the truth without study is to expect the impossible. No one has ever been saved until they studied the Bible. In John 6 and 45, Jesus said, They shall all be taught of God. Everyone, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. And so in order that we might grow as Christians, we need to continue to study and expand our knowledge of the Bible. We're to grow in grace and knowledge, 2 Peter 3.18. And so we're to study the Bible that we might grow spiritually. As newborn babes, we're to desire the sincere milk of the Word that we might grow by that Word. Now, to expect to grow without studying the Bible is to expect the impossible and to expect to come to a saving knowledge of the truth without a study of the Word of God is to expect the impossible. It is said that 88% of the households in America own a Bible. 37% of them read it at least once a week or more. 37% of the people who own a Bible in America, read it at least once a week or more. Uh, there were two researchers, George Gallup and, and Jim uh, Castilli. And uh, he said, they said, quote, Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. That's alarming. They revere the Bible, 
They may wave it around, you know, but they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. That's a very serious charge. We have the Bible in our homes. We have Bibles maybe in your office. But, but are we reading the Bible? According to research, 60% of Americans cannot name but five of the Ten Commandments. 82% of those that were surveyed believe that this is found in the Bible, that this is a Bible verse. God helps those who help themselves. But friends, that's just, that's just not in the Bible. And 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was the wife of Noah. Now, and then there were those who believed that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. And then there were, some, there were some high school seniors, a big percentage of high school seniors who believed that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife and uh, maybe like Dan and Beersheba. And of course, Dan and Beersheba were places and not husband and wife. And so that illustrates that we, we just don't have the knowledge of the Bible we need. Do we believe it? Yes. Do we accept it in America? By and large, we accept the Bible in America in spite of the fact some would like to do away with it. But the vast majority of people say, I believe the Bible. But to expect to have a knowledge of it without studying the Bible is to expect the impossible. In Acts 17 and 11, we read about people who, who studied the Scriptures. These were more noble than those of Thessalonica in that they received the Word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. Now, three things I'd point out about that passage. These people searched the Scriptures they search the scriptures. How long has it been since you search the scriptures? You hear a preacher say something on television, or maybe you hear your preacher say something in the pulpit where you may attend a church, and you just accept it? Or do you search the scriptures? Do you search the scriptures? Secondly, they search the scriptures every day. They were reading the Bible daily. Now, the scriptures, of course, the, uh, what was likely the Old Testament scriptures that they had because the New Testament is in the process of being revealed. But they were searching the scriptures they had. And third thing we observe is the reason they were searching the scriptures every day, and that was to see if those things they were being taught were true. You see, we need to put Bible teaching to the acid test. And the acid test is the Bible. Does it pass the Bible test? For example, a man may tell you that all you have to do in order to be saved is just call on the name of the Lord. Just call on the name of the Lord. Well, does that pass the Bible test? You know, Jesus said, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
But the person that will enter the kingdom according to Jesus in Matthew 7, 21, are those that do his will. So it's not enough. So a person who would say that all you have to do is call on the name of the Lord or you put your hand on the television screen and, and you put it on my hand and I, I'm going to pray and you just accept the Lord in your heart. Does that pass the Bible test? Well, you know the only way you'll ever know whether or not that passes the Bible test is to search the scriptures, to study it for yourself. And of course, when you do, you may learn that there are things that, that are taught in the New Testament that would contradict that idea that men have about salvation. So it's impossible to expect to have a knowledge of the Bible without your studying it. And then it is impossible to be in the family of God without being born again. And uh, God has a family, doesn't he? And 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul said, But if I tarry long, that you may know how that you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. God has a house, a household, a family. And that family is also called the church. And, and God's family is uh, composed of those who have been born into that family. And God is the father of that family. When we address him as his children, we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God is our Father. And the Father's family is destined for glorious things. It's destined to glory. In 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in the 13th verse, Paul wrote, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And, and then Paul is talking about when Jesus Christ comes back. He said, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice, voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede those who are asleep. But then we're being caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then verse 18 says, comfort one another with these words. You see, we're destined to glory. Jesus said, I prepare a place for you. If I prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. So God does have a family. And God is the father of that family. And what a marvelous blessing it is to know that you're in God's family. Listen to 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 1. Oh, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. What a privilege, what a blessing to know that you're in the family of God and that we are God's children. I don't know of a thing that's any greater than that, do you? You might be the President of the United States. You might be a U.S. Senator. 
You might be a multi-billionaire, but that's nothing. That's nothing compared to being a child of God. And when you are a child of God, you have become a recipient of blessings that only God can give. Listen to Paul in the first chapter of, the, of Ephesians and in the third verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You see, if you're in fa the family of God, you have become a recipient of all of those blessings that are in heavenly places. And according to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, you can approach the throne of God in boldness. And you can ask for help in time of need. So we are so blessed when you are in the family of God. And not only that, according to Paul in Romans the 8th chapter, beginning in verse 14 and down about verse 17, that when you are in God's family, you have now become an heir of God. That is, you're subject to receive an inheritance from your father. And that inheritance is an eternal inheritance. I suppose that many of us would get excited if we learned that we were uh, the heir of uh, some person who died that was a wealthy person. There's a, a, a program on television called Strange Inheritance. And they talk about things that people have inherited. And most of the things that people have inherited, that they talk about at least, are things of great value. Well, you could inherit everything there is in this world from some wealthy individual, all the wealthy people of the world. But that's nothing. That's just a drop in the bucket compared to the inheritance that God is going to have for all of us, that we will inherit everlasting life. Oh, what a blessing it is to know that you are in the family of God. Now, the question remaining is this. If all, all of that being the case, that is that God has a family and that God's family is destined to great things and to glorious things. And that if you're in that family, you have all of these blessings and favors and benefits. One being that you're subject to receive an eternal inheritance. The question we want to raise right now is this. How does one get into God's family? How do you get into the family of God? Well, someone says, well, I think, Brother Lambert, all you have to do is just uh, you accept Jesus in your heart. You, you shall let him come into your heart. Ask him to come into your heart. Someone says, I think all you have to do is you, you go down to uh, some service somewhere and you go down to the front and you, you kneel down and, and you pray and you pray and pray until you feel like You've gotten through, and, and, and the Lord has come into your heart. Or someone else may say, well, Brother Lambert, there's not anything you can do. You're either one of God's elect or non-elect. You're either saved or you're not saved. Not anything you can do about it. Well, that just, none of those ideas square what the Bible says. 
How do we become a member of God's family? And the answer simply is, you must be born again. And that's found in the third chapter of John's gospel in verse number three. You must be born again. Now in the early part of that chapter, there was a man by the name of Nicodemus that came to Jesus by night. And Nicodemus said, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know you're a man, come from God, because no man can do the miracles that you are doing unless God is with him. And then Jesus just overlooked that. You know, a lot of, of us who are preachers might be a little puffed up by having someone say that to us, you know. And, and, but Jesus was not that way at all. Jesus knew what Nicodemus needed. You see, back in John chapter 2, in the last couple of passages of that chapter, G Jesus didn't need for someone to tell uh, him what was in a man because he already knew what was in a man. Jesus knew Nicodemus needed the Father, and he needed to be in God's family. He needed to be born again. He knew that. And so Jesus responded when Nicodemus told him, your teacher come from God. Jesus said, verily, verily, which simply means truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, what does it mean to see the kingdom of God? Well, that, that's not talking about a visual sight, a literal seeing. He's talking about enjoying the pleasures, the benefits, uh, and the rewards of knowing that you are in the kingdom of God, that you have been born again. So, but in order to in see the kingdom, Jesus said you must be born again. And then Nicodemus asked, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Is that what you're talking about? You see, Jesus had in mind a spiritual birth. Jesus did not have in mind a fleshly birth. But Nicodemus is thinking on a fleshly level. And so he asked, do you have to be, go back into your mother's womb and be born again? Now, how will you answer that? In John chapter 3 and verse number 5, listen to how Jesus answered the question of how a person is born again. Now remember down in verse 7, Jesus said you must be born again. He didn't say this is a good suggestion. It's imperative that you be born again. And verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Someone says, well, what does water mean in John 3 and 5? Well, in John 3 and 5, water means the same thing that it does in Acts chapter 10, verses 47 and 48. And there Peter said, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Spirit as well as we. And he commanded them to be baptized. Well, in what were they baptized? They were baptized in water.
because he said, can you forbid water that they should not be baptized? And then he baptized them. So he's talking about a water baptism. And in John 3 and 5, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about, to be born of water and of the Spirit. It takes water for a person to be baptized. In 1 Peter 3, 21, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so a person who is born again is born of water and of the Spirit. Some says, what does that mean? Well, the Holy Spirit is the one who has revealed the gospel plan of salvation. In John 16 and verse 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he shall guide you into all truth, and he shall not speak of himself. Whatsoever he heareth, that shall he speak. I've often believed, long believed, that the Bible is the best commentary on itself. And I believe that there's some passages in the New Testament that are a divine commentary on John 3, 5. That is, they tell us what it means. For example, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27, is such a commentary. For you're all the children of God. Now, isn't that what we're talking about, being in God's family, being born into the family? So he said, you're all children of God. How? By faith. Where? In Christ Jesus. Children of God, by faith, in Christ Jesus. But then how does one get into Christ Jesus? Jesus, Paul in Galatians 3.27 said, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ did put on Christ. Jesus said it like this, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Friends, to expect to be in God's family without obeying the gospel, by believing on Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing faith in Christ, by being baptized into Christ, is just to expect the impossible. I encourage you to do it today. Obey Christ today. I'd like to give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. If you're not certain where it's located, call us. We'll help you find it. I want to thank you for watching today. Please call for the Bible Correspondence Course. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible Correspondence Course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.org. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible at golftel.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, 
or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.